From Tally to Cali, it's time to wake up. Warchant.com is your ultimate seminal sports source. And this is Wake Up Warchant, presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. One more, now here's Warchant.com's ass on Hunch of Andy and Corey Clark. What is up, everybody? Welcome on into Wake Up Board Champ, presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Coming up on today's show, Tuesdays with Tom, talking culture, Mike Norvell, Flores A football, hoops, and some other stuff. Wake Up Board Champ, presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, Tallahassee, Florida. CPTallyBar.com is the website. Check it out. Taco Tuesday. That's all day going down at the Corner Pocket on a Tuesday leading up to Trivia Night, which Corey... Fortunately, won't be there, but go out regardless. They have a chance to win. It'll be fun. You won't have a whole bunch of people congregating around you if you're sitting next to Corey Clark because he's got to shake hands, kiss babies. Check it out. Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. You will not be disappointed. How weird would it be if I actually did kiss somebody's baby? No, it'd be awesome. Do people still do that? That's a, I mean, I, if, when Brady was a baby and I introduced him to someone and somebody just kissed him, I'd be like, what? Get, get your lips off my baby. I don't think that's a thing people do anymore. But back on the campaign trail, they did it all the time, I guess. And remember that host for Family Feud, Richard Dawson? Jeez. He kissed everybody. Make it out there. Yeah, yeah. Man. I don't know. Everyone likes a baby. If it's got chubby cheeks, just get a little smooch on the cheek. But, yeah, I get it. You know. Have you ever kissed a baby? Um, Not like a stranger's baby. Like, I remember, like, like, just a baby in general. Yeah, I think when I was when I was a kid, like I was six or seven, and my cousin was born, and like you know, I held him, like oh, I'm oh okay. baby. All right, well, that, there you go. That's a good answer. Good job, yeah. Aslan. But like, I love kids, and right. I don't I don't know how it goes when you have, uh, I don't have children, obviously, but like I'll see my friends and their kids, I'm like oh man, like I love your kids, but like I'm like I don't want to go overboard with like doting them with affection and stuff. So I just tr- I try to play the cool uncle, I'm like hey, what's up? What's up, kid? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, you got a fine line to walk, fine line to walk. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Um, lots of stuff to talk about coming up with uh, Tom Lang towards the end of the program. We'll also, again, talk about hoops. Uh, Monday's pre- con- press conference is kind of what we uh, talk about in the beginning half of the show on Tuesday, Corey. So I guess let's get to it here. Um, sorry for the static. Wasn't my problem. Wasn't my fault, everybody. But uh, Corey braved it out, typed everything out. If you're a member of Warchant.com, you only have to listen to the entire 30-minute interview of each coordinator. You can just go to Warchant.com and read Corey's pretty much verbatim synopsis. Well, All the videos, except for though. Papuchas. Yeah. I, I, I bowed out for Papuchas. I, I even said in the, in the thread, I'm like, all right, John Papuchas is up next. If you want to know what he says, watch the video. Because I'm trying to get my man's number, video numbers up. So I don't want to give away the content. I want people to go and actually watch his video. Yeah, we got people that are really buying in and, and getting behind the, the support JP movement. Mm, uh, let's see here. Pensacola Packbuster. Man, my favorite part of the day is waking up and checking my phone for a Coach JP interview. <laughs> uh, Sam Knight 3. I'm posting here to prove that I watched Papuchas' press conferences. Nice. Uh, and Josh Somers always include the JP interview in my Monday press conference rotation. I love it. I yeah. love it, man. He's <laughs> going to be really fired up. I'm telling you, man, like he deserves it too. He's a coordinator. I know you guys aren't all that interested in special teams, but he deserves it too, and he's a he's a good interview. It's, there's, those are usually pretty interesting press conferences. And our guy Harvard Blue as well. Let's run these views up. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I think he's also has like a little more autonomy to kind of speak a little bit more of his mind. It's not nearly – I don't want to diminish what a special teams coordinator does, but I feel like he's got a little bit more you know, autonomy to kind of talk about things. I did ask him, Corey, I don't know if you went back and listened to it, but I did ask him about his kickers getting run into on the missed field goal. What did he say? <laughs> you got to go watch it, Corey. Oh, you okay. You don't it. want to give it away. I got you. Why uh, give away the milk or yeah. whatever that saying is? Why well, you can buy the cow? No, it's All great, right. man. He was uh, he was very coy about it, uh, laughing, uh, admitted. He's like, you know, listen, when the when the ball is hit, he's like, I'm I'm just tracking it. Like I'm not looking at anything else. I'm tracking the ball, see where it goes. And I saw them both down on the ground. I thought, oh, they must have got run into. We must be getting a flag. He's like, but we looked at it and yeah, he's he's basically like, yeah, you know, I think they were trying to help us out, but we obviously don't practice that. But maybe we should, and maybe we should do it a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but he laughed it off, so it was okay. It was right, good, good to see. Because uh, I also asked him about, and we'll talk about with Tom Lang towards the end about you know this sort of this camaraderie they have right now. He just talks about how everybody's having just so much fun. Everyone's playing for each other. Everyone hasn't been around anything all this. Uh, all that similar, and, and he's been. Unless he was in Maryland, he's in Nebraska, he's in North Carolina, so he, he's probably coached at more Power Five programs than anybody else on this staff. Um, and you know, Adam Fuller mentioned, you know, and that's another kind of topic I wanted to ask Norvell, but I, I would have gotten too long of a philosophical question. But I was asking Atkins and Fuller, just basically like, listen, I get it, man. And Norvell said it. Listen, we're we've been dominant the last few weeks, but we need to get better, and that's going to be the challenge. That's the push here now is. Or we have to get better despite the fact that we're having this success. And I was trying to get from Atkins and Fuller, can you like look around your room and realize, all right, man, like we're we're pretty we're na- we're hitting our head on that ceiling, man. We I look around this 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 room and I like these guys, but man, we're we're maximizing. I don't know how much more we can really dial it up and, and stay on these guys. But they both kind of, you know, brushed that off and said, like, no way, man, there's there's always room to get better. I like Fuller when he talked about we look at it, there's not really a dial to turn. It doesn't go to 100. It's a constant challenge. It's a constant journey. It's like we have to continue to get better, which makes it really exciting to see how the team is going to play the next two weeks because there's no reason to think that complacency is going to creep in. And I wasn't suggesting complacency. I'm just wondering how much better can they play? How much better can they play, do you think, Corey? Well, not much, uh, you know. When when you've outscored two conference opponents eighty three to six in two weeks, um, and really given up one meaning one touchdown in three games, you're not going to play much better than this. Um, but it they they can't say yeah we've hit our ceiling. Um, and they, look, man, they have had mistakes like Mark Easton Douglas just falling down when he could have gotten a first down. Um, Johnny Wilson slipping. Uh, the fumbles by, by Travis, the interception by Travis against Miami. You know, they, have, they haven't been perfect games, but nobody plays perfect games. Yeah. They've been about as close to perfect as you can imagine. And when you watch the clips of that defense and the way they pursue Tucker, the way they, and the way on offense they're blocking at every level. Uh, Micah Pittman is a, just a, he's relentless blocking. He's the smallest, he, he, would he be the smallest? He's got to be the smallest starter on the team and one of the smallest players on the team probably one of the smallest receivers in the ACC, and he blocks guys like he's Terrell Owens. It's just, it's remarkable what he does, but even still, like, you know, I, I think that they can't they, they can keep improving because that's what they've done. They, they played better against Miami than they did against Georgia Tech. They probably played the same against Syracuse as they played against Miami, but that was, that was impressive because it wasn't the same atmosphere or the same stakes. 
and they still played at that level. So yeah, I, I think I think the question is this team, I think that you know, their ceiling is what they've done these last three weeks. They've been utterly dominant. Utterly dominant. So this team, I think, is is hitting its head on the ceiling of what it can be. Great on offense, great on defense, and it's been great on both the last uh, three weeks. What can this program be, though? I think that's what Norvell's charge is to finish out this season and continue. When he answers the way he answers so philosophically, Adam Fuller, too. Adam Fuller even said it like, look, we keep improving. We try to improve. It's continuous improvement. The year ends and you start over. That's, a pro that's what a program is. Um, and that's, and, and then try to, you know, build to that standard. So I, I think that Norvell, you know, when he talks philosophically, he's, he's, he's talking about this team, but he's also talking about the program and he's just not saying the word program, but yeah, I think this, the program certainly hasn't hit its ceiling. This team, you know, if it finishes nine and four, 10 and three, and certainly if it finishes with a five game winning streak with you know, three or four, two, maybe one or two more convincing wins. That's, that's about that. That's knocking your head on the ceiling. I think when you look at the amount of NFL talent in, in elite level talent, this team has, cause it doesn't have a ton of elite level talent to be just uh boat racing teams like this. Yeah. I just think they can maintain. Like I think yeah. if they make that, you know, yeah. you can't say that. Right. You know, he could never say, yeah, let's maintain. Let's just be as good as we were last week. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, that's just not how coaches talk, and that's not really how they think. Because yeah, you did make mistakes. It's funny listening to Alex Atkins too, right? Mm. He's like, yeah, you know, they did some good things, but we also gave up way too many uh, negative plays. And you know, he's never gonna be like, yep, we got it, we figured it out. This is a great five man. This is a great five man line. Can't be any better than this. They just, they, coaches don't think that way, and I hope players don't think that way. Like maybe Jordan Travis does. He's like, yeah. If Johnny Wilson doesn't slip and if Dylan Gibbons doesn't knock me blindsided, I would have been 23 for 23. There's nothing more I can do except maybe not that, maybe not fumble it when I'm hit. But, you know, all these other guys, they all have room for improvement. Anything else from the coordinators that catch your, uh, caught your ear while you were uh, hacking it out, typing it all out for the, uh, the loyal, dedicated subscribers of Um, Yeah, I like, you know, the, the way Fuller talks about uh, those defensive linemen um, and, and what they mean and, and how they eat up blocks. Like just getting Fabian, he was talking about Fabian Lovett and how, you know, he doesn't, he maybe didn't have a, a, a great stats game, which he didn't, but he makes such a difference that those linebackers can start playing downhill. And look, defensive tackles are never going to put up huge numbers unless you're Aaron Donald, who's just a, you know, maybe the best one that's ever lived. But most defensive tackles don't put up stats, but they allow the linebackers to go roam free and make crazy plays or the defensive ends to get single single blocked and, and go make plays. And that's what Fabian Lovett does. And then he, you know, he talked about, uh, what else was I going to say that, that, that did catch my, my, oh, he, he talked about like a play with Joshua Farmer that the play he made. So when they made the, uh, when they, when they got this, when they got the turnover, when, when, sorry, when Jordan Travis turned it over and Syracuse had the ball 14 to three, the first play is diagnosed perfectly. Um, by, by Kalen Deloach and Josh Farmer coming down and making a two-yard tackle for loss. The next play, Fuller brings up the fact that there was a play in practice that week, a very similar play, where Josh Farmer kind of did not do well, apparently. And Odell let him know about it. He did not play the play well. And he goes, Odell coached him up because his, foot, his footwork wasn't very good and he got exploited on the outside. He goes, the same play happened in the game 
Joshua Farmer's footwork was perfect. He was coached up great, and he went and made a tackle for a six-yard loss. Like, and, he, and he uses those as examples of a program growing. And it's true. Just, you know, Joshua Farmer's a young guy. Patrick Payton's a young guy. It's cool to see they can, they can take coaching and they continue to grow, and they kind of grow alongside this program. Like, think about, and he said Joshua Farmer's light years ahead of when he had to play against Louisville. And that's clear. And then you think about Patrick Payton and what he's becoming. Now, Patrick Payton has, a, to me, a little different sauce, a little special sauce to him. Like, he's been making plays since he went in the game, but now he knows what he's doing and he's making plays. It's not just all on instinct. That's what excites me so much about that kid, man. He, he came in his very first play against Louisville after Jared Burst got hurt. He noticed that he somehow knows it's a screen and sprints to the spot and tackles the kid at the line of scrimmage. It, it was just a great instinctual play, and then he's just been doing that ever since, but he continues to get better, and he's now, he, knows, he knows what he's doing um, and have, is playing with a ton of confidence. They all are. So, uh, yeah, I, thought, I just think that's interesting. I, I would, I would uh, encourage everyone to go watch those videos because this, unlike other Mondays when you kind of get more in-depth in the actual what happened in the game and who's coming up the next week, it really was a lot of philosophical talk, wasn't it, about this program, where it is, and where it's still trying to go. Yeah, and, you know, credit to Ira for kind of getting the ball rolling in that sort of direction. I think he kind of was trying to get a kind of look into, you know, how much do you have left to push this team? How much of it is just maintaining where you're at and kind of getting a feel for where they are? And then, you know, Norvell's obviously talking about, listen, it's all about it's all about work. And we showed back up, you know, gave him a little bit of more, you know, a little bit of a later time to show up on Sunday for the walkthrough. But everybody was uh, dialed in. So I mean, there's this there's a crazy belief, man. I mean, I don't want to call it crazy belief. It's uh, they're they're putting in the work. They're seeing it pay off. It, it's just it's really special, such a strong word. I can't find the proper adjective. I speak for a living. I should be able to. But, man, I didn't see any of this coming, man. And the fact of the matter that they were all so confident that they were that close to it, like they were, were on the cusp of it, and, and now they've kind of pushed through it, is it's really delightful to be able to kind of watch. So, uh, I, think, I think, honestly, man, I think the end of last season um, should have filled you with hope except for the Florida game. But that's a big exception. It like is, that, it you, is. You, can't, you can't just overlook – losing to a, a coachless Florida team when you actually have something to play for. So, but if, if, if say somehow, not somehow, Jordan Travis doesn't get hurt and they win that game, whatever, 27 to 20, and they go to a bowl, win or lose, they go to a bowl after starting 0-4. I think you would have probably seen this coming, right? I, I think you would have had, you wouldn't have been so, um, I don't know, cynical. And, and you had every right to be cynical. It was three and six followed by five and seven and an 0-4 start. Uh, after that three and six but when you think about it you know he started his he started here was he three and ten to start his career at Florida State Norvell was three and ten mm. and then since then I don't know what he is but he's he's done well he's 12 and five sorry I should have been able to help you out with that better but no I don't have it in front of me something like that no. and he very well could be 14 and five um d down the stretch or 14 and six down the stretch that that to go from three and ten to fourteen and six, and when you think about those losses, you know, crazy loss to NC State. You lead at Clemson in the fourth quarter. You lose to Florida by three. You lose to Wake because you played horrible for a second quarter. All all those things like they they proved the second the last eight games of last season. Okay, something is changing within this program. They're not great by any stretch, but something is going on. Like they they are not an embarrassment. 
they are not getting blown off the field by these teams, going up to Clemson, who has so much more talent than you, experienced talent, and leading in the fourth quarter, that was a great sign. And then everything would have been beating Miami. Everything would have been a great culmination last year because they didn't blow that stupid Florida game. And then they start this year the way they started this year. Now, I mean, and then they overcome that losing streak to look where they are now, seven and three, staring down eight and three, going to a decent bowl. And there is a chance a lot of dudes come back and you have a core coming back off this team. Man, yeah, it's hard not to believe in what this guy's doing because they, they, the, it's not just that they're winning games, right? It's the way they're winning games. And we deal with these kids, we see them at practice. We see how hard they practice. Um, and I, I just, I, I think it's set up for the long haul, man. I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong once or twice before in my life. I think it's set up for the long haul. I think he's got a great structure in place and he's got great, um, a, a foundation. It's, it's gotta be, the roster's gotta get a little bit better overall depth for depth purposes. And at the elite, elite level up top, you need some Harold Perkinses in your life. If you get a couple of those dudes, like just dudes, like the Jalen's and Derwins, you you need some, you just need a couple of those guys, man. Top ten first round picks that you get for more than a year, unlike what you're probably going to have at defensive end these last two years. If, if you can start getting those kind of dudes up from the high school ranks, two or three a year, man, I I just think it's set up for the long haul. I I do believe in what this guy's doing. Three and ten start. He's been twelve and six ever since the loss to Louisville last year. so Okay, 12-6 and six with a chance to be 14-6, and six, right? Yeah, yeah. Or 15-6. and six. I mean, that's, that's a remark. 3-10, and 10, and look, man, 3-10 and 10 with <laughs> some all-time ugly losses. Like, not just getting obliterated by the Bailey Hawkmans of the world and, and getting embarrassed at Louisville, but then, obviously, the Jacksonville State game and then being down, you know, 28 points to Wake um in in 2021 like all that stuff to go from that literally you're down 31 to 7 to kind of an average louisville team at home in week four and then since that moment i just feel like you've watched a top 15 program since halftime of last year's louisville game you this has been a top 15 ish program it's won some close games it's lost some close games but over the over that hall i think you would agree aslan that there's there, there haven't been, it's not been Georgia, Ohio State, but since that moment, this team has just been completely different. And yeah. I don't know why, because it was literally, I'm telling you, it's not a joke. And I've said this many times before, but it, when, when they made it 31 to seven, Ira literally said to me in the press box, I might have to do something else for a living. That's how bad it got. And nobody loves college football more than Ira, no. but that's how bad it got. And that's how bad it got for most of you guys watching it. Like, what are we doing here? This is a joke. And then since that moment, it's not only been competitive, it's turned into a pretty darn good football program, and it might just become be becoming a really good one. Last thing before we bring Tom in and then uh, talk some hoops after that. Um, staying in the moment, how much, how much do we need to just enjoy this season? How much are you using these next two weeks to kind of project ahead to next year? Because as I pulled up his schedule or rather his record mike norbell's you know pulled up his wikipedia page see his memphis run you know he, he went 10 and 3 year two and then took a step back the following season went eight and six so like mm. um 
again, and the, but then after eight and six, he goes twelve and one. I just I've never I've never bonded it again. I've never, never bonded this whole linear growth thing. Um, I think just looking at that, that makes me want to just enjoy this year, enjoy these next two weeks for what they're going to be, and then the bowl game after that. Um, I would I would like to think that you do take momentum from year to year. Uh, but we always get caught in that trap watching a bowl game. Whatever team wins a bowl game, like, oh, hey, man, uh, Texas beat, you know, uh, freaking, I don't know, LSU in a bowl. They're, they're going to be – They a, beat Georgia in a bowl. Yeah, they're going to be top five ago. next year. And then it they, yeah. doesn't work out that way. So uh, are you just going to kind of try to savor what it, it would mean to win 10 games this year? Or is it going to be hard for you to not to think about, man, if we bring this guy back and that guy back, and if we do this and that, then sky's the limit next year. Yeah, it's, it's getting to the point where, you know, every time I watch them play, I kind of look ahead a little bit to like, man, it'd be nice if that guy came back. It'd be nice if that guy came back. By the way, shout out to Jamie Robinson. He got a senior bowl invite. Um, nice. So that's cool. I mean, I, I guess you guys probably want him to not take it and stay. <laughs> but uh, but that's cool, man. That guy's, I just feel like that guy's going to be in the league for a good long while. Um, but uh, And he's been very good since he's gotten here, man. Kind of overlooked because of what the defensive ends have done, the transfer defensive ends, but Jamie Robinson is the truth. But, yeah, you, you look at this team, and, yeah, I, I kind of just want to enjoy it, man. I, I just kind of want to enjoy it because in the, the reality is, especially with Florida State not quite set as a power by any stretch, you don't know from year to year what the roster is going to look like. So this this will certainly be the last three games played with this group of players and for all we know three or four of the guys won't play in the bowl game so you've got two games left with this group of players so I, I would I would encourage just to enjoy what you see here and then as soon as the Florida game's over um, start like I said get on Twitter get on social media see what the posts are but then start worrying about it but man I, I just think yeah I, a special Florida State a, a special team at Florida State it's hard to it's hard to designate a team that at best is going to finish 10 and three as a special team. But in a way it kind of is right. Because there's no, there, there aren't other than like the guys from 1977, there hasn't been another good Florida state team that went through this. Like we all talked about what LaMarcus and Telvin and those guys went through when they started their careers. Yeah, man, they were, they were going to peach bowls and they were beating Notre Dame in bowl games as underclassmen. Uh, they, they didn't go through three and six. They didn't go through COVID. They didn't go through Jacksonville State. So these guys going through the low, no, no team really in the last 50 years has gone through the lows that these guys have gone through. So for them to come back from that and become relevant again, to see Florida State on the bottom line scroll as a top 20 team, I, I, I think that should be appreciated. And then we'll worry about next season as soon as the clock hits zero um, in Doak uh, after, the, after the Florida game. But yeah, I think I think I'm more just gonna try to enjoy what what we have here um, in, in this team and the way they kind of have made Florida State, you know, talked about again, kind of relevant. Certainly not an embarrassment anymore, like they were through those first 13 games of of Norvell's tenure. Um, it's cool, man. It's cool. They're they're I, the player like you've said like you've said the players deserve a lot of credit for this because they could have easily just been like I'm not listening to this guy anymore. What does he know? They did not. They really did buy in. And the guy know, uh, clearly knows what he's talking about. And it's been cool to see. It's been cool to see a program kind of resurrected like this. And I really hope a lot of those guys come back because that team could be special. Well, one last quick thing. Uh, if you're worrying or worried or wondering why A.J. Duffy wasn't in the game, 
why Rodney Hill wasn't in the game. Mike Norvell oh, good. did. Yeah, good, Aslan. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yeah, yeah go Mike, for it. Mike Norvell did mention that, you know, they're looking at their eligibility and they've got maybe a few more games left to uh, use them uh, in games and, and still maintain that red shirt. So uh, it sounds like probably like Louisiana, the bowl game is, I guess maybe they're better. You'd rather deploy them in those two games or at least save it for the bowl game because you have a little bit more muscle memory or something. I don't know. It keeps you a little bit closer to your offseason program if you can save your eligibility for the bowl game. Because if they played Syracuse, they likely would get him against Louisiana, and then they're done for the year. So I guess that's yes. kind of the reasoning, right? And also, um, I mean, there there is a thought. You know, if Jordan Travis decides he's not going to be here next year, he might not play in the bowl game. Um, so then you're down to two quarterbacks, and you really wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to have AJ Duffy already at four games played with a bowl game, right? And, and then, then Tate's helmet gets Tate knocked gets, off. Yes, know? and then what? I mean, I guess you just go to the Wildcat and tell Toa Feely to catch it. But <laughs> you, 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 you won't. You wouldn't Too want soon. that. You wouldn't want to burn a red shirt yeah. for for what for a bowl game. And the same thing I with Rodney Hill. Like I, I think they expect. We'll see. Again, you can't look ahead. Can't look ahead, gang. But they expect that Rodney Hill will probably get some action in this game coming up, and they and also you don't know at that position especially, a kid gets banged up, another kid gets banged up, maybe another kid decides he's not going to play in the bowl game. You you just don't want to you you want them to both be sitting at three games for the bowl game, three games played because the rule obviously is that you can play four games and still redshirt, and they don't want to burn a redshirt for one drive against Syracuse. And it's I mean it's I know it's disappointing. In fact. Uh, I really didn't understand last week or this week. I almost tweeted out free Rodney Hill, <laughs> but then I did. That's that made sense. I'm glad uh, that I don't. Did Atkins bring that up or did Norvell bring that up? I thought Norvell brought it up. Maybe, but I'm glad he did because I was confused. I'm like, are they upset with Rodney Hill? He, I mean, he's at practice. He's running hard. Why? Why wouldn't they let him play? But that makes perfect sense. They didn't want to burn his red shirt. Although there is a chance that Rodney Hill will be good enough that that fifth year won't matter. There's so many sports books to choose from. You need a platform that's going to make it simple to bet and win. Go to MyBookie. MyBookie.ag has got a huge selection of odds, props, contests for all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Can't wait for a few months for them to drop 2023 National Championship Futures. You all know what we're going to do. We're going to do a big family wake-up board champ bet on the 2023 National title. We're going to probably pick a team in the state of Florida. We'll let you know which team soon stream games you can live bet while you watch so you can turn your game day into payday when you use mybookie.ag sign up for free today use the promo code wake up it's all one word wake up and you'll claim a half deposit match you guys have been taking them down too hard using Corey and i's winners so they're not doubling it they're just doing a half match deposit of any amount up to a grand so if you put in 100 they'll throw you 50 bucks use that 50 bucks to pick winners based on what we'll give you tomorrow, Wednesday. Wednesday is when we hand out the winners. Hopefully you'll tune in for that segment. Promo code again is WAKEUP to claim that deposit bonus and give yourself that competitive edge. When you play with MyBookie, you're not just betting, you're joining the winning team. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who loves you, everybody, more than Tom Lang? Tom Lang, working hard, working all the darn time. He's here with us. It's Tuesdays with Tom Lang, Executive Director of the Jeff Cameron Show, Director of Original Media for Warchant.com, the ultimate symbol sports horse. Tom, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. You're like, I'm all right, and you're not doing all right, but thanks for being here. We appreciate it, man. Man, it's a 7-3 and three kind of week. Mm. Let's go, boys. <laughs> Pumped up. <laughs> uh, Tom, I- would you go? would you go to the bowl game if we if we like if you like have you been to a bowl game uh sure uh i was other than pasadena yeah i went to uh the the chick-fil-a peach bowl uh twice houston and south carolina i went to the champs bowl against notre dame in 11 were you covering those or were you just there uh i covered i covered notre dame okay I, i did cover the houston game as well so, all right. Okay. All right. It'd be cool, one, man. If we could, if we could go to a cool place, maybe. I, I hope so. You know, I, I get that it's better for the fan base if they stay in the state of Florida, but I, I kind of want to go places. Let, let's see where this thing could take us. Want to go to San Diego? Now, wouldn't that be a non-starter for you, or would you make the trip? What would you do? Oh, that's definitely a non-starter. So is New York, and you two are high. Like I know Jeff keeps talking about. I'd love to go to the Pinstripe Bowl. Number one, he wouldn't go. He's all talking bluster. He's not going. What's he going to get there five days before so Ira can write all the stories? Jeff's not going to New York unless he's paying for it, and it's going to be nine degrees. I mean, it's cool to say you were in Yankee Stadium, but not for a football game. But So don't you think, though, Aslan, I was going to ask you, too, like if they win this game Saturday, which they're 23, 24-point favorites, they're 8-3. and I just can't imagine one of those two Florida Bowls or three Florida Bowls swallowing them up. Right? Don't you see that? Don't you think that too, Tom? Not that we're bowl predictors like Brett McMurphy or anything. Right? Yeah. Uh, I. It's got to be. I mean, it, it's got to be the state of Florida. I mean, if if you had, uh, let's say, some sort of Vegas prop that said, will they play their bowl game in the state or outside the state? It's probably minus eight fifty in the state yeah. of Florida, and then plus five hundred outside the state of Florida. That's what it feels like right now. But hey. You know what? That's also a great reward for uh, everybody staying dialed into places like Warchant.com and Warchant TV is then maybe you get to meet a bunch of us instead of one or two of us in a, in a right. remote location. That's right. Good call, Tom. Good call. <laughs> I, know, I want them to play in the ReliQuest Bowl in Tampa, but then I'm like, I'll probably be staying with my mom. That's a far drive. So maybe maybe I'm coming around to you, Corey. Maybe, you know, Tax Slayer. You know, we mm-hmm. go back to Jackson. Well, and, and against an SEC team, too, I think would be both. Cool. And, I, and I think this I think this like I know McMurphy in this latest uh, picks had Florida State playing Utah in San Diego. And it's like, man, why? Why would any of those teams, unless they're mandated by the ACC, why would any of those bowls? Sorry. Take North Carolina over Florida State like that. That just wouldn't make. I know they'd have a better record, assuming they lose to Clemson. So they have two losses and Florida State has three or four. But I, I just couldn't imagine they're going to take – why would the Tax Slayer Bowl want North Carolina versus Ole Miss when it could have Florida State versus Ole Miss? It just yeah. would make no sense. I, I would think, too, that bowl officials don't have to abide necessarily by the tie-in and the priority. Like, if you're the Duke's Mayo Bowl, wouldn't you want a horse trade with a Florida Bowl so you could get North yeah. Carolina to play in Charlotte? 
Because, Amen, brother. Like I, I know it's secondary to the revenue that they get from the sponsor itself, but North Carolina, the gate in a game in Charlotte is going to do way better than one in Jacksonville and vice versa for Florida State. Not many people are going to travel up to Charlotte, but a lot of them will go to Jayville or go to the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando. And they'll get hotel rooms. Yeah. And the hotel lobbyists would want Florida State to be right. there because they know fans would show up for it. Anyway, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we, Tom Lang? we got to talk about uh, the rest of the regular season. Sort of, though. It's guaranteed that they will be playing in a bowl, which is very different for the first time in the last five years, and we can say that. Yeah, I mean, even if they were to tank the next two games, which is astronomically low possibility, they're still going to go to a decent bowl game. So win this one, again, 23.5 point favorite, as Corey said, and then take care of the Gators, and uh, sky's the limit, man. I'll go to San Diego, though, but anywho. All right, Tom, I know uh, Ira's on the show with you and Jeff on Monday talking about just this program being in a really good spot right now, obviously in, in the stewardship of Mike Norvell right now. I ask you this, um, with most of the romanticism of sport kind of sucked and beaten out of me, covering this like on a day-to-day basis, um, whatever this team might lack in overall dynamic NFL talent, man, is there something about this team with at least the buy-in and the personalities that is special that you might not be able to constantly replicate and, and scale out for years to come? Could there be something of just the way this team is kind of coming together, or is this culture enough? There you go. I said the word, everybody. Is it enough that it's it's more – the culture is more responsible for what's going on right now than these individual players kind of coming together and, and buying and believing in it? I, I think that's the math that the staff has to do in, in subsequent recruiting calendar years and with the transfer portal. They have been very selective, especially in the transfer portal, some guys might have been better players than others, but they vet very hard uh, what they what they want and the kind of player that they actually have on campus when they're here for a visit. They don't sugarcoat a thing. And if the kid doesn't react to that very well, then they're not going to take the kid because they know that things right now in this state of the rebuild are fragile and one or two wrong decisions could throw that out of balance. But I wonder if the math changes on that because if they believe that the locker room is stable enough and that there's a process of the veterans handing down the culture from one class to another, you might be able to take a chance or two more than you were willing to, you know, in the last couple of off seasons. So what do I mean by that? You know, is it worth it to take somebody who could undo your culture to get from seven wins to eight wins or eight to 10? Is that really worth it? Or is it more worth it to build it the right way? Uh, Mike Norvell said this in Charlotte, the ACC kickoff, we're building this thing to last. So are you going to do that first? And then maybe, allow for guys that might be a little bit riskier, but they can run the 4-3. Like, I think that's the interesting part to watch in the next couple of years, but there's no doubt at this point, you saw the momentum start last season with guys like Jermaine Johnson and, and Keir Thomas, and they started the ball rolling. Now this thing is rolling full steam ahead, and it seems like there is a passing down from one season to the next. We'll see if it continues on, but right now it seems like everybody's singing Kumbaya in a way they haven't in some time around here. Corey, this it hasn't know. been installed for that long, you know. So I, I kind of, I, I don't want. I'm not trying to diminish anything of what Mike Norvell's done, but it's not like this culture has been steeped in this program for decades, like it was with Bobby Bowden. So I mean, I think the players need to take a good amount of credit too for buying in and all coming together. I mean, is there anything to the fact that, you know, we think this culture will sustain no matter when these guys leave? But it wasn't like this was passed down from player to player, as you would talk about. You know, LaMarcus passing it down to Jalen, passing it down to Derwin, et cetera, et cetera. Man, is there any is there any credence to thinking that maybe this this team is just constructed really special? I mean, they just 
they have the right kind of personalities, the right kind of players, they're filling all the proper roles, that it's it's hard to say that it's always going to be this great, or does it go back to the fact that they're buying in because they believe in what this guy is is put together? Yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the message from the top. I, I think they think he's genuine, and that makes it sound like I don't. I think he's genuine too, but as long as the players believe he's genuine, it comes from the top down. And also, you know, one or two players, when you have a strong culture, one or two players can't wreck it. You either you either come around and join the culture or you're out. Like that's they're not in a place now where they they would if somebody came on board that's a five star transfer, a five star recruit, and he's a malcontent, they'll he won't play. Like they'll he'll 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 be so out of place in what the rest of this lock in what the rest of this team is that he'll look ridiculous. And so I and and will feel ridiculous and we'll either they'll either kick him off the team or he'll he'll get in line or he'll go somewhere else. I don't think they're gonna have guys that sabotage what is what it what has been going on at least not here in the next few years and I you know look you, you're gonna lose some guys this year you might lose a couple early guys and you're gonna lose the Dylan Gibbons and and uh you know who else Pokey Wilson uh Robert Cooper but a lot of these guys will come back so I, I don't I couldn't imagine you get a couple of high profile transfers and they come in and say they're prima donnas or they're divas well Kalen Deloach isn't gonna put up with that Tatum Bethune's not going to put up with that. Like these guys that have been around, Shaheen Brown, I don't, I, I think because they've lived it, man. I think the guys that were here in 2020 aren't going to put a, put up with the guys that come on on 2023 when they're when they're coming off a nine or 10 win season and uh and let them sabotage the culture. I think that's what they'll find out what the Florida State way is now. And I think there is such a thing as the Florida State way now because of what Mike Morvell has done these last three years. I mean, again, I'm not trying to like overstress this thing, Tom, but I just I wonder, again, we talk about, we just look at how good this looks right now, and we think if they add X, Y, and Z, and player one, two, and three comes back, then we're thinking like playoff next year. Um, which, I mean, that probably isn't that crazy to talk about at this point, but I just, I wonder, man, if, if this team is just kind of has just the right mix, and it's hard to replicate that, man. Every team is different, and I just wonder if there's something kind of different about the way these guys are all coming together that we won't be able to replicate next year. But it sounds like you and Corey uh, both think that that's that's really not the case, man. Ultimately, this is these are good players, and it's a, it's a good coaching staff scheming stuff up on a week to week basis. That's being the the reason for the success. Yeah, I think it's just that there has been a consistent message. You know, it, it's no coincidence that when things deteriorated after the 2013 championship team, um, you had guys that were allowed to skate if they didn't follow the protocols that existed before and they still were playing on Saturdays. And then there's like Jalen Ramsey, for example, who in his own right could be a headache, uh, said after the Oklahoma State game in, in Arlington that it didn't surprise him that that game was so close because they hadn't been practicing very well and they weren't paying attention to the details. And at the time, that was a, an eyebrow-raising comment because Florida State was in the midst of winning 29 straight games. And little did we know that that small comment that appeared in uh, Corey, Corey Clark's piece after the game or, or any number of people that reported it and heard him say it, that those words were telling you what was to come for Florida State's program, that they had allowed for rot to build up from the core and affect that program to the point that we had to watch what we did the last five seasons. So it can happen quick. But I don't think Mike's going to fall asleep at the wheel magically over the next couple of years. And he might have had to make decisions that put culture over talent solely first the last couple of offseasons to make sure that they build this thing the right way. But I think I think where I agree with Corey is 
the majority of players in that locker room for the foreseeable future are not going to allow one or two kids to turn this whole thing around the negative way. Now, to your point, Aslan, I think that this group is actually really, it's quite special because you've got a lot of kids that bought in for the right reasons or they were misfits for previous coaching staffs here in Tallahassee or where they were before they entered the transfer portal and came to Tallahassee, and they're all in this together on a unique ride. And that's what makes this season so fun is all of their faith, along with the faith of the fan base, has been rewarded because that they've gone on a journey of faith and faith alone. There was no proof of concept at Florida State. That's why it feels so special this year. And I don't think from a fan's perspective you can replicate what we're watching this year because it's like a discovery process, and that's a whole lot of fun. And you know what's different about it too, though, is is let's say this team does win out and finishes 10 and three. Well, part at Florida State, I know we're going to be very excited, and that's a great year, and it's a great year for Norvell and a great comeback after a three-game losing streak. But at Florida State, a 10 and three season, number 11 finish is kind of like a all right, big whoop. Like all these fans have dealt with this. You don't come to Florida State to lose three or four games. So I wouldn't think that they would – say you get a majority of the guys back. You lose Verse and you lose Jamie Robinson. Everybody else comes back. Well, those guys that are coming back, they haven't accomplished enough to, to, to coast. They, what have they done? They finished second in the ACC Atlantic? Great. You won a December 30th bowl game? Awesome. You still haven't done what good teams at Florida State do, so they'll still have something to prove. Like this team is hungry. Like that 13 team was hungry, desperately hungry. And that 14 team was not at all. I think, I think this, I think they would still come back with the same mindset because they would still have something to prove. 10 and 3 ain't it. I mean, it's awesome. It is a great bridge to something better, but 10 and 3 isn't a culmination of something. Uh, 10 and 3 is the start of something, I would think would be their attitude and Norvell's attitude. Tom, uh, one last sentence before I let you go, um, or we can keep talking. It's fine. But I wanted to kind of pivot back to the, the press conference on Monday. You know, Mike Norvell kind of opened up his press conference, at least talking about the Syracuse game, really complimenting the defense. <clears throat> I mean, describe to me this defense, what we're seeing right now, what is allowing them to be so successful. You know, in terms of eye test, like we're not, we're not seeing 11 dudes with their hair on fire just running to the ball and just swarming. But, man, they're just solid, for lack of a better term. They're just solid. They're not allowing any big plays. Corey's talked about that throughout the podcast this season. They've been limiting big plays all season long. Is it is it Fabian's return? Is it Jared creating a lot of attention? I mean, what do you? What are some of the things you point to when you look at this defense? And do they do they look to you like the defense that's you know, 13th in the nation or whatever it is in points allowed and 15th or whatever in yards allowed uh, per game? Yeah, I don't know that I would describe them as uh, dominant per se. Uh, they're trending in an, in an area that looks more much more dominant. Uh, I think some, there's, there's a lot of factors there. Fabian coming back helps change things because it limits what the offense can do against them in terms of running the ball. They're 70 yards better a game with Fabian Lovett Jeez. and the five games he's played versus the five games he has not in terms of what they've allowed on the ground. So that's a start. The last three games you've that's had. That's an enormous number, by the way. It, that it is. an impossibly high number. Well, competition yeah. too, but still. no. Well, I'd say that's another part of the equation is the competition level. Yeah, that's true. That That's part of it. But then also, I'm seeing a group that gets downhill a lot faster and they tackle in the open field a lot more frequently. 
So that tells me that confidence is there at, at play as well as development and confidence. There was a, a point in practice, I think it was two weeks ago, where some of those blitzes early in the season that took forever to get home, I watched two of them in a row get to the quarterback at light speed. And I thought, oh, well, that, that that's better. And you're seeing that in games now, some of the times that they overload. Kalen Deloach, in the beginning of the year, some weeks he'd be shot out of a cannon and others you go, man, he looks tentative. He looks as confident as he has. You got guys like Renardo Green making plays in space, batting passes down that maybe he was in phase four and they were completed early in the season. So I think you got a lot of things going on. Starts with Fabian Lovett's health and Jared Verse being closer to 100%. That's big. Uh, the talent level of your opponent has gone down. That helps some. But then you can't deny that they're flying around at least closer to the line of scrimmage some of the linebackers and safeties more than they have been in weeks prior. It's, it's like last year, Aslan and Corey. Towards the end of the year, they took off and they developed. I think the challenge next season for this defense will be start out that way. It's not illegal to look like that in September, yeah. and we'll see if they can do that. How do you process these three opponents then, Tom? As you, you as well, Corey, I'd like to hear both of you guys talk about this. Like if they took that three-game stretch, if they would have taken the Carolina teams and Clemson and put them here in November – and we would have had Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, uh, you know, in October. Are they still seven and three? Um, are they nine and one? Uh, how how do we need to look at it? Because Corey's mentioned this too, obviously here, Tom, is the fact that no one else is doing this to Clems. Or t- sorry, to Syracuse. I keep getting them confused. No one is blowing out Syracuse. No one's really blown the doors off Georgia Tech since Brent Key's been there. Uh, same thing with Miami when they're not turning the ball over eight times. So there's something there that Florida State's doing that other teams aren't doing. But, you know, it, it's a different caliber of opponent that we're seeing. How, how, how have you kind of sort of processed uh, the way they've looked while weighing it against the competition and how it would look if they were playing Wake Forest this week or Clemson this week versus a month ago? I'm curious, Corey, what you got? Yeah, no, I, I think I've said uh, or I said on the last show, you know, if they would have won those games 26 to 20, I would be more inclined to say it was a po- those were opponent wins. You were just playing teams that were you were superior than. What they're doing to these teams, completely um, curb stomping them to 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 you know molly whopping. A fun molly whopping. Right, curb stomping is a fun image, right? Um, so when you think about that and what they look like, I think, man, I think they would beat and especially the way Sam Hartman, in my opinion, has looked the last three weeks and the way that offense has kind of come back to earth, I think they would beat Wake by two touchdowns. I think they would beat NC State with their freshman quarterback by three scores. And I think they might still lose to Clemson just because I have to see them beat Clemson. So I think I think if they flip these these teams, because you could have beaten these teams without Fabian Lovett. Yeah. They wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been by 40 points, but you would have beaten these teams without Fabian Lovett. You clearly – you couldn't beat those teams without Fabian Lovett. So if you switch them now and you had a felt healthy Fabian and a more healthy Jared Verse, those are two NFL defensive linemen, and you don't have many of those. Um, I think you're probably nine and one. Yeah, I, I full consensus here. And you know, if Jared Verse by himself was fully healthy for the Wake Forest game, you might win that game outright because you saw what he did in 25 snaps. Which yeah, yep. He created a whole lot of havoc. What what if that was there in the first half? Plus, uh, you'd have a Patrick Payton. Yeah, that was Patrick Payton now. Instead of a guy still learning, Joshua Farmer too. You you you'd have these guys with more experience in these bigger games. Yeah, that's part of it. When when Peyton or Farmer is the third guy, you've got to consider on a four man front as an offensive line. That's an yeah. advantageous place to be. And and these guys have 
have grown up real fast. I would agree. You know, 10 and 0, I think is a lot to ask for if you flipped the previous three games that they played with a three game losing streak. But I, I don't think nine and one's out of the question. And it's just, that's the killer. A lot of people focus on the NC State second half as the moment of, damn, what could have been? For me, it's close the game out against LSU, and Fabian Lovett is a part of these games because he got hurt on that final drive of the game. That's the big what if to me. Still but goes the, back to that pitch at the goal line. Yeah, yeah. Flipping Norvell. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm not going to take that bait. But what I am going to say is that regardless of whatever that moment is where you go, damn, what could have been, I mean, what is is pretty damn special too. And and yeah. that's that's what uh, you know the best part about this game and then the home finale against Florida is it's building to a crescendo, boys. That, that game mm. against Florida on a Friday night, before they beat the crap out of Miami, I didn't know how many people were going to get in the car, or get on a plane, and come down here for the Thanksgiving holiday. They're all coming. They're all, oh, man. That yeah. place, this whole town. You know, we were we lamented that Clemson was raucous, but it could have been a whole lot more if they closed the deal against NC State. You're getting that atmosphere that we were hoping for for Black Friday night. It's going to be real special around here. That's going to be – there's going to be more juice in that game than it's been for a long while, I think. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I know it doesn't have national title implications, but I think from where this program has been, where they want to go, where we think they can be, uh, that game is going to be a, a real big statement to, to kind of let us know exactly just how close they are to that kind of path. What are you doing this weekend, Saturday, Tom Lang? Can people come hang out with you if they want? Oh, and maybe even Friday, too. Of course they can. I actually have some uh, buddies coming up from Tampa that I went to undergrad with. So they'll be at Hotel Indigo, Ooh. oddly enough, because I'll be there. And that's a 10 o'clock show at Hotel Indigo. Doors open at 930. That's on Saturday. That's the pregame version of the stuff. They'll get uh, Bloody Marys and mimosas for you. But you can actually start your weekend Friday night at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, 5.30 p.m. for the uh, happy hour program. It'll be Jeff and Corey. Last time we were on the air, I played musical chairs with those guys. That was fun. Uh, sitting on the stage. We state. had to go to the bathroom. They had bathroom breaks, so I was ready to go for bathroom duty. But 5.30 to 6.30, Corner Pocket Bar and Grill on Friday. Hotel Indigo, 10 a.m. Doors open 9.30 if you want to get your mimosa or Bloody Mary on. And then the watch-along program. You know all about that, Aslan. First yeah. half begins noon, and then we do the post-game show. And then I guess we're all watching some Pac-12 football after that because they got some interesting Pac-12 games on a Saturday night. Not many other good games on Saturday, but that that's one. I was going to ask you, Tom, so two things. Number one, will people in this corner pocket be able to hear us on Friday? I, I'm going to get a PA if I'm going to have to buy it out of my own pocket. Yeah, I mean. Well, okay, well, we'll, let, we'll make Bill buy it. Uh, we're, <laughs> I mean, we're the talent, right? He's got he's to uh, pony up. But also, you and Jeff have both promised to do keg stands. Yes. I don't know what Ira decided to do. What, what did he say? He was going to drink some uh, Don Julio or something? A, a two-beer funnel. He will do Oh, that's right. He was going to be a two-beer funnel. Aggressive. Um, I don't, Aslan and I will come up with something. But Jeff and I said if they fin- if they beat Florida to finish the season 5-0, and because we're not going to be able to have a happy hour Correct. on Thanksgiving before the Florida game, mm-hmm. would you go to Corner Pocket on Saturday at some point and, let a, and help us film a 30-minute post-Florida Post nine and three, happy hour at Corner Pocket during college football Saturday. We could even do it at like eleven thirty, yeah. So we don't interfere with any of the uh, rivalry games. Oh yeah, no, that that's agreed to because that's when this whole short that's when the keg stands would happen, that, right? That's when it would okay. all happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm already committed to it, and here's the thing: if it does happen, what we'll do is we'll film all of that to keep uh, Bill's beautiful vinyl flooring from uh, getting warped. Um, we will we will film that on the outdoor deck. So okay. we'll, have, we'll have the whole thing, and I've got it all planned out. So we've got a stage, 
We've got a setting. And yes, they've got to finish the dream here and finish mm-hmm. five and zero. Oh, but yep. that would be the quick turnaround. We will be out there on the deck in the 11 a.m. hour before Rivalry Saturday at CP. That'll be perfect. All right, you guys heard it. So just start rooting for that. Start rooting for a five and zero finish. You'll get to see keg stands and uh, and Ira funneling. Good grief! Ira's going to funnel. He's going to throw up. Gene is going to do it as well. Yeah. So the pressure's on, guys. We All right. Well, I'll sit minutes. my Mio's and half a shot of vodka <laughs> and look on from the sidelines. Tom Lang, executive producer of the Jeff Cameron Show, director of original content for Warchant.com. Check out his observations on Warchant.com as well as all the good video he's doing for us over on Warchant TV. That's the YouTube channel for Warchant. It's a piece of cake. It's totally free. Check it out. Thanks, Tom. I love talking about blowouts every week. I look forward to next Ooh. week for another one. <laughs> Let's do it. See you guys. All right, so they pay me the big bucks here at Warchant.com to do things like this. Stick around late uh, to tack on. to got an hour-long podcast now to talk about basketball. Florida State. 0-3 now on the year. But, hey, they got Florida coming to town on Friday. Maybe it'll all change, hopefully. They fall 79-72 to against Troy. Another one of those pay games where they, you know, pay a team to come here to beat up on them, but, you know, doesn't work out the way you intended. Florida State never led by more than two in this game. I don't even know if they led by two for even more than a minute of, like, real time, not even, like, game clock. Uh, it's a struggle right now for Florida State. They fall 79-72 to to Troy. Uh, Troy gets up 21 more shots uh, than Florida State had. Uh, Florida State turned the ball over nine more times, uh, 19 times versus Troy's 10. Uh, it's just going to be a tough hole to dig out of for Leonard Hamilton. Now, he's got every reason to have all the, the sort of benefit of the doubt, the equity built up. You folks that are out there tweeting, fire ham. I mean, come on, man. Come on, figure it out. Do better. Uh, they're down to seven scholarship guys. They played that game with about six scholarship dudes for 35 minutes because Matthew Cleveland fouled out with about five minutes left in the game. So not a lot of options right now, figuratively and literally for uh, the Knowles. You know, in the post game, Leonard was asked about, do you have to kind of maybe start thinking about playing some more zone defense because, you know, playing man for 40 minutes with only seven guys is a lot to ask. And it's just one of those things where I say, listen, man, I've been here for 20 years. We've maybe run zone 20 times. It's one of those things that you really can't just flip a switch and go to. It's, it's a really difficult thing that you have to drill over and over, uh, but did also leave the door open to the fact that, you know, maybe they would have to look into that. But then he comes back and talks about the fact that when you're losing, the worst thing you can do is start trying different things. You need to kind of believe in who you are, believe in your systems, he did say there's you know three or four things they feel like they can constantly go to, and it's part of what they've always had in terms of running schemes offensively, but they might have to simplify it because they're just so young, man. Uh, he laments the fact that their veterans are guys that have only been here now for two years. They're going to their second season. Guys like Matthew Cleveland, Caleb Mills, uh, Cameron Fletcher, these are your, your, your senior leaders, if you will, uh, and they're not seniors. Uh, so they are young. But they are who they are. You know, he, he, he's not running from it. He's admitting these. He's pointing out the issues. I think he's recognizing these issues. He's explaining it, not necessarily making excuses. Uh, but, again, they fall to Troy 79-72. to Just offensively, uh, Caleb Mills maybe got to start figuring things out, getting things a little bit more cooking. Four of nine on the night, not terrible, 14 points. Cameron Fletcher was six of ten with 15. Uh, Darren Green, the UCF transfer, sniper, seven of nine from behind the arc with a a game-high 24 points for the Knolls, so some good things to build off. Uh, Matthew Cleveland, though, very quiet night, only three shots from the field, only three points. Uh, Leonard 
kind of explained that they're taking away a lot of the driving lanes from Matthew and they need to figure out ways to to open things back up for him because uh, without Matthew stirring the drink it's going to be a long season for Florida State so they'll rest up and they got Florida coming to town on Friday who fell to FAU at home on Monday night so they're not coming up here looking all that great either we'll see if that could be the elixir for the Knolls to get back on track hopefully it is it's supposed to be raining all day Tuesday morning so that's going to be great at practice getting rained on We'll interview, though, the coaches and the players after practice. Might even have some practice video up. Thinking between you and me, everybody that still listens to the podcast, probably will go out to practice on Tuesday. Probably not going to go out on Wednesday. But I'll be out there Wednesday to do the interviews afterwards. Might sleep in a little bit. It was a long one. It was a long one on Monday, everybody. Went out to the press conferences. Did the pod here with Corey and Tom. Did the Coop show. Went to the Civic Center. Did post game. Kind of long, kind of a long day. It stretched out over the course of 12 hours, so I'll mail it in a little bit on Wednesday, but I'll probably send up a new war chant report or something. But you know who's not going to mail it in? Corey Clark, Irish Ophel, Tom Lang, everybody else. We'll have practice observations on the website. We'll have interviews up on the thread over at warchant.com. Uh, probably some sort of insider report maybe. Actually, I don't want to say that. I want to put more work on Irish shoulders, man. Our guy was up in Syracuse all weekend long by himself doing all that work so stay connected to the warchant.com we're all the ultimate Seminole sports source there's no promo code it's only 10 bucks join figure it out get involved hit the thumbs up please as well that'd be cool i can't did we, was this five minutes that we did everybody rambling about basketball not even five minutes felt like forever though didn't it <laughs> didn't it i love you guys for Corey and tom thank you for listening to wake up war champ presented by the corner pocket barn girl and maslin Javandi. have a great one we'll see you on tomorrow's show live show thursday and we'll see you over at warchant.com in the meantime Jeff Cameron Show, 1 to 3 o'clock coming up. think I made it over five minutes. Let's go. I lied. It's Tuesday. It's headlines 1 to 3 o'clock. My bad. Now we can go.